Hello, we are the Ishtar Collective, a website dedicated to categorizing the law of destiny. You can find us online at www.ishtar-collective.net and on Twitter at IshtarCol. I'm Baxter, the founder of the Ishtar Collective. I'm Purple Chimera, the lead archivist at the Ishtar Collective. And today we are going to analyze the Books of Sorrow. If you aren't familiar with the books, then you might want to either check out our previous episode where we summarize the events, or check out our website where you can read the books in order. Okay, so um, the Books of Sorrow were pretty big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, I was just thinking they might be the largest kind of one section of lore that we have. Yeah. As far as they, like cards that are consecutive and tie together. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, uh, before the Books of Sorrow, uh, I think the next nearest thing we had was the, um, I, I never know how to pronounce it, the Maraid or the Maraid, which describes the events of um, the, the Reef Wars. Um, and then with Rise of Iron, I guess you know that a lot of the a lot of the Rise of Iron cards they're not they're not sequential in quite the same way as the um, the the Books of Sorrow are, but they do tell you know they they're a, they're a chunk of cards that tell us about the Iron Lords. Um, yeah, they're definitely a a narrative style grouping. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's anything quite like the Books of Sorrow anywhere else in Destiny. No, they're, they're certainly, they're certainly an, a unique thing. Yeah. So the first question that I wrote down is, when do the books take place? Ha <laughs> ha, your timeline. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an... I, I, it's really strange because the the events that take place in the books of sorrow span millions of years. They seem to anyway. You know that the the times, uh, you know that, that at one point it says you know, um, the hive made war on each other for twenty thousand years, and it's almost a, it's like a side note. It's uh, it, this is just these are just the time scales that, that it's like a blink of an eye to to Oryx who who is pretty much immortal. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the time scale seems to change throughout the books. When when they start, um, we are told that the hive live for 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, so 10 years is really short compared to like what, what we think about it compared to a lifetime, mm -hmm. a, a human lifetime. But then once they become immortal, you know, it's almost like it gets zoomed way out as they battling yeah. each other for thousands and tens of thousands and 20,000 years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a really long time ago, but we don't know how long we can't. There's no way for us to, to, to compare it to any other events that take place. Basically, it's it's so long ago that we that we can't really. um we can't really say, oh, well, it was when dinosaurs roamed the Earth. We don't know. It might be more recent than that. It might be more ancient than that. Probably 
you know, it could, could be older than that. But we really don't know. It also depends on what your definition of a year is, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I think for, for the purposes of our discussion, we have to presume that a year means 365 days. Because it's, you know, the books of sorrow were given to us in English. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a difficult it's it's a it's a confusing topic, and and I I don't think we can necessarily. We you know I know that I I have heard arguments that maybe ten years, um, you know like a year a, a an Earth year is far shorter than a Jupiter year. So if we're talking about a gas giant, then a year is probably going to be closer to a Jupiter year. But then, okay, so we, we we can say, right, let's scale up 10 years to be 50 years, let's say. Um, but then, by that logic, do we also scale up 20,000 years to be 100,000 years? I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 think it, I think it makes more sense to just say, let's, until we find evidence to the contrary, since we were given the Books of Sorrow in English and we live on Earth let's presume that, that a year is it is 365 Earth days. Right, an Earth year. Plus, like once they leave the fundament, then the a year is not relevant because you're traveling through space. So did they keep their watch when they fled the fundament to make sure that they were using the same calendar? Yeah, that's a good, yeah. Uh, who, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a difficult. It's a difficult. It's a really difficult thing to, to even begin to to answer. Um, I know. I think I remember. There's a there's a transcript we have of a ghost scan. But I can't remember which one it is now. That that says that some some. I think it was some hive object predates the Earth. I can't remember now. Um, I should have. I should have had that ready. Do do. But, um... Okay, so when did it play take place? A long time ago. We don't really know. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> um, so something that fascinates me is what was the state of the universe before the Books of Sorrow begin? We have some information. Um, you know, we know... Basically, before before the story starts, um, some continents, some planets have fallen into the the fundament and created continents. There is um, a species that didn't originate on that planet that we call the proto hive, but but presumably, you know, if if they didn't originate on that planet, they originated on another planet. They must have had another name. Um, some events must have taken place to to leave them on the fundament. Um, they were obviously a fairly technologically advanced species if they were able to create the needle ship. We don't know if the planets crashed into the fundament before or after the Leviathan was living under the surface of the fundament. And 
we don't know how long the worm gods have been there. Um, the worm gods say that they have been imprisoned there by the Leviathan. There's also this atrocity on the needle ship. So so it, it's implied, I think it's outright said at one point actually, that the, the needle ship was designed to dive into the core of the planet. And there is this atrocity in the birthing room of the ship. The fact that the ship has a birthing room does kind of lead you to think, well, maybe this ship had a very specific purpose, you know. Um, so yeah, like... like I feel like there are a lot of really interesting questions there about, you know, I I almost wonder, has some war already taken place? Has there been some conflict that is just so far back that it's in, it's it's completely forgotten about by anybody who's still around to tell it? Um, like, you know, if the worm gods were imprisoned... That implies that they did something wrong, or they did something that that required them to be imprisoned. So, what what did they what did they do? Um, and obviously, that they seem to be quite powerful creatures. So, it must have been something equally powerful that subdued them and kept them there. I mean, the the, the Leviathan might be quite a powerful creature, you know. But I mean, it seems like there is some you know, what the worm gods call the sky, there seems to be some network of allies that have worked together to imprison the worm gods. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of questions there. Um, <laughs> do you have any thoughts well, on that, Purple? I, I do. Um, go, I want to go back to the ship for a minute, the needle ship. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, and I, I can't remember the name of it now, but there are a bunch of different, um, parasite species that do things like, um, you know, will take a bite, um, and, and leave their eggs there, you know, there to grow it, bite, bite an animal. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's kind of what I envisioned the needle ship doing having a birthing room um wh when you have something that's designed to penetrate some you know penetrate a core to a core of a planet and it has a birthing room to me that means you know it's holding you know eggs or, so or something like that that's going to c turn into babies do you understand what i'm saying mm. i don't know if i'm not sure sense. i don't know if i do okay. because so are you saying that it's it's the needle ship is some sort of device for like impregnating um maybe larger creatures or or something with kind of proto hive eggs something like that maybe yeah so okay. if i i'm thinking about parasites and the way that parasites mm -hmm. operate it um they have to have a host body right so the paras the adult parasite um, creates its eggs and needs somewhere to put them. So it goes and finds a host, mm -hmm. and it depending on what which parasite it is, it'll you know bite or or sting you or or whatever 
you know, cause a co- essentially cause a wound in the host um, and then deposit the eggs there. And then the eggs devour the host in order mm. to grow and create more parasites. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm, I'm envisioning this needle ship is that the needle ship is carrying these eggs and it's piercing the core of this planet because in order for the eggs to hatch and grow, they need to be deep in this planet. Why? I don't know. I mean, it could be pressure, heat. Mm. You know, these are these are all things that are at the core of planets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those are the conditions that, that the eggs need to hatch. So you have to build some kind of device to, to get them there. Okay. I mean, that's, it's interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, the, the, the descriptions used made me think, um, is the atrocity... An ogre. Huh. You know, like, and I wondered if... I don't know, it's, it's so, there were so many possibilities and it's so difficult to just pick one to speculate about. But I wondered if perhaps the, the ancestors of the hive had come to the fundament Um knowing that the worm gods were at the core and the needle ship had been used to delve, you know, to reach the worm gods and that perhaps the ogre, well, the atrocity was some sort of first attempt by the worm gods to create a suitable host species for their larvae. I don't know. And I mean, maybe that's how the the worm made its way to the surface. I don't know. I I, I think it's it's very it's it's really hard to say. I I feel like there are so many open questions, and anything that we say is speculation. So maybe it's kind of yeah. No, we're gonna know. we're gonna get pretty speculative here because. <laughs> yeah. the, the way this is written, it can lead a lot to interpretation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's another thing that happens before the books begins. Um, the the worm, and I don't mean the worm gods here, but I mean that the familiar of the king has somehow found its way into his possession. And we don't really know mm. how that happened either. Right, and it also has died yeah <laughs> did it die and then he got a hold of it did he get a hold of it and then it died like what's the situation there we don't know yeah we just know that at some point he had it and it was also dead yeah and i mean i think it's worth pointing it, pointing out as well um cause, you know like typically larvae hatch into something yes but we it, they're called worm larvae, but they never hatch into anything, as far as we can tell. That's a really good point, actually. I have These one... hive Sorry. ingest the larva in order to gain the powers from the worm gods. Mm-hmm. Um, but having... 
I don't know where I was going with that. They, they ingest this larva, but you'd think if you're ingesting the larva, like typically when you eat something, then it doesn't grow anymore because it's dead because you mm. ate it. Mm-hmm. Unless the worm larvae yep. is also a parasite. Well, I mean, I think it is. The worm larvae must be a parasite because the worm, you know, if the if the hive don't kill and destroy and feed on other species and on on the light, then the worm will eat away at the at the at the hive. It and you know and when um, when Oryx uh, defeats the Kugu, he thinks about how similar the hive and the Kugu are in in some respects. The Kugu are a, are a species who have this symbiotic relationship with um, another larger species, and the Kugu ritualistically well you know they have to pull off their arms and feed them to this giant whatever it is um obviously that isn't ne- exactly the same relationship that the hive have with the the worm larvae but there is a symbiotic relationship there and if the hive don't hold up their end of the bargain the worm will eat away at the hive so i i definitely think that the the, the worms the worm larvae are parasites in my opinion So that brings up the question of if, like, parasites, typically the actions that they partake are to further their own survival. So being ingested would mean that that is something that helps them get to the next stage of life. Yes. I think it's possible, you know, there are some, there are some species that are quite willing to sacrifice um, like their children in order to in order to um, as long as it's for the good of the of the species you know like yeah, ants for an evolution yeah ants are quite happy if they're if there's an invader and they have to cut off part of the the um, the ant hill or whatever they're quite happy to sacrifice. They'll, you know, like ants will throw themselves at a predator, knowing that they're going to die, because it's for the good of the of the species. Um, right. And uh, all the ants are happy about this. It's fine. Maybe the worm gods are quite happy for their um, larvae to be potentially killed, because for whatever reason is outside of our understanding um this helps the species as a whole in some way well and it could be something also along the lines of um, there are tons of species who produce a ridiculous number of eggs Mm. but only a few actually end up hatching you know like Mm -hmm. we kind of have a skewed perspective because humans as a species typically give birth one baby at a time. Yeah. Um, But there are species um, who might give, you know, might lay 
hundreds of eggs like fish a lot of a smaller mm-hmm. species of fish will lay hundreds of eggs and not all of those eggs are going to hatch some of the eggs get eaten some of them die mm-hmm. you know whatever so not all of those eggs are going to end up growing up into f- to becoming adult fish yeah and this might be a similar situation where they implant you know they they negotiate the situation to have all of these larvae implanted in the hive ingested by the hive mm-hmm. knowing that a lot of the larvae aren't going to make it but some of them will you know if we if we imp- if we get ingested by enough hive some of us are going to make it right mm. some of us are going to get to the next level grow out of the larva stage which is fair except as we've already established the books of sorrow spans millions of years and we never hear about any of those larvae hatching. Well, the biggest hive that we know of are the ones at the top, right? So Oryx and mm-hmm. and Jivu and Savathun. And Savathun, yeah. So if we're viewing this in a parasitic way, it's possible that the worms that they ingested have now grown because they, they talk often about the parasites or their, their worms growing, right? Being mm-hmm. fed by the light and my worm is growing and getting hungrier and going back and forth mm-hmm. like that. But if a, if a parasite is inside of your body, usually you don't know until it's really big and super dangerous. Yeah, but as this, I mean, you know, I think it's, it's, the relationship is symbiotic, you know? It's not like um, it's all one-sided. Yes. Which is maybe, maybe maybe we shouldn't be using the term parasite because, you know, they are symbiotes. Yeah, no, you're right, you're right. Um. So, the, you know, the, they're both getting something out of this. The hive are getting all of these powers, you know, immortality, um, the ability to, to cut wounds in the universe. And the, the worms, or the worm larvae, are spreading, you know, across the galaxy, um, being fed light which I guess is what they want. It seems to make them happy, so go with it, I guess. I have read one theory, and I can't remember who who suggested it, but that um, you know in the King's... um, Not the King's Fall, in the... um, What's the name of the raid? Which one? The Tick and King raid. I've forgotten the name now. King's Fall. Oh, yeah, it is King's Fall. I was thinking, what's that? Oh, I was getting confused with Regicide. Anyway, Oh, sorry. yeah, that's the last one you said. <sighs> yeah. In King's Fall, at the end of the raid, when you defeat Oryx, he doesn't, you know, he he basically kind of crystallizes and floats off into space. And um, one of the theories that I read on Reddit was that... Um, this was 
like you know the fact that it crystallizes is a bit like a chrysalis maybe something is going to hatch out of this oryx corpse oh like now that that he has died the worm is able his his worm is able to hatch and grow into the next level yes hmm I don't know why that hasn't happened with any other hive. Maybe it's just because they haven't consumed enough. Yeah, maybe light. the larva has to get big enough first. Yeah. So that's that's a possibility. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that would be cool. So I think that was all the questions that I had about the um the universe before the books of sorrow. There's probably some other questions that I haven't thought of. Um so if if anybody listening has any other thoughts about you know what what was the universe like before the books begin then please let us know So um the next thing we should probably start talking about are the events that take place in the books themselves Okay um does that, does that make sense Yeah sure do you do you want to talk about um like whether or not they took place and, and that kind of thing? Well, I mean kind of, yeah. I guess one of the things that I wanted to talk about was um so I, I wasn't going to go on to that just yet. Um there were a couple of things I wanted to talk about from some comments that I made on the notes. Go ahead. Um, so the first one was really just kind of something that's been talked about a lot, which is um, so when I when I f- first started the Ishtar Collective, um, one of the th- one of the things that I did was I set up a system where whenever a new Grimoire card was added, the system would check that Grimoire card for a, a bunch of different patterns. And based on those patterns, it would assign the card to a particular category. So, um, for um, Jaron Ward, whenever the name Jaron Ward is mentioned, then the card should be added to the Jaron Ward category. Equally, whenever the last word is mentioned, then the, the card should be added to the Jaron Ward category. Um, one of the other rules that I set up was whenever there was a phrase that looked like oh something mine then that card should be added to the Ahamkara category and the the um, the book the Books of Sorrow card Needle and Worm contains the line from um uh, Sathona, where she talks about the segmented dead worm that she carries around, and she says, "It's dead, but it still speaks to me." It says, "Listen closely, O oh vengeance mine." So, obviously, when the when the the system ran, when the, when the new cards were added in the t- in the Taken King, it added needle and worm to the Ahamkara category, and this caused a lot of discussion, because people said well you know 
the the dead worm is not an ahamkara you know the dead the dead worm is not ahamkara bones and i don't really know what the answer is here i don't know if the the right thing to do would be to remove the the phrase or something mine from the ahamkara the list of ahamkara key, keywords um yeah i'm not sure i don't i don't know i mean I definitely think that there is some relationship between, you know, obviously when this card was written, the author wanted us to make a connection. You know, it, it seems Yeah, that's not a normal yeah. speech pattern. It was obviously done on purpose. Yeah, and it's repeated in a couple of places within the Books of Sorrow. There are, there are a couple of points where that, that phrase, that sentence structure is used. Um... Well, and in our Ahamkara episode, we discussed whether or not the Ahamkara are dragons. Yeah. Right? And in the card, The Bargain, which is card nine, um, they meet Yule, the honest worm. And Yule says, Behold my passage, behold my vast displacement, my ponderous strength, my great and coiling length, my folded jaws and curled wings. So, I mean, that sounds yeah. like a dragon to me. It does, yeah. But obviously, that doesn't mean to say that the worm gods are the creatures, you know, like, I, a lot of, I remember when, when this when this happened, which was like over a year ago now, um, there were loads of discussions on Reddit um, and various other places that basically kind of, the, the the discussion was are you trying to say that the worm gods are ahamkara or are you trying to say that the ahamkara were the worm gods and i don't think it's it's that straightforward i don't think we can make either of those conclusions right now i i, I definitely think that there's a connection i think that the worm gods sound very dragon like and i think that the uh, ahamkara are definitely dragon-like. There's the line um, from the gift mast. Um, where, sorry, it's from the, the, the card before the gift mast. Um, what is that? What's XLV in Roman numerals? Um, L is 50... So X uh, forty five. Okay, so Math. card, yeah, nicely done, nicely done. Um, so card forty five. I'd shut them all in cells. This is where the hive arrive at the gift mast, and Sivu Arath says, "The dragons, our gods, should be ours alone. Their smug freedom is an insult to me. I'd shut them all in cells." Bring them to me. What does that mean? <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> we could, yeah, we could sit and talk about that all, all for a whole episode. I think, like, does it mean that? So it it said previously that the the harmony are able to fight back against the hive because they use dragon wishes, which sounds very similar 
to the um, the various ahamkara. benefits. Yeah, yeah, the various benefits that guardians received from the ahamkara. So the hive seem outraged that this relationship exists between the harmony and some sort of other dragon creature. Whether Zivu Arath is saying that, um, you know, it, it's possible that Zivu Arath is saying, I hate that these, that these dragons are similar to our god. Or maybe they're saying, maybe, maybe, maybe she's saying, I hate that these dragons are also talking to our gods. I don't know, like, it's hard to say. There's not enough information there to know exactly what it is that um, Zivu Arath is so angry about. So here's something I just thought of that I haven't seen get brought up before. Um, you know, the argument seems to be either they're the same species or they're completely different, right? Mm. And I feel like it's possible there might be another option. Because if I describe an animal to you, oh, I saw this animal, it has two legs and a beak and feather on its wings, hmm. right? Okay. That's essentially the description that we get from, from Yule about what he looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Not a whole lot of detail. I could be describing a chickadee. I could be describing a bald eagle. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And they're both birds, but they're really different birds. Yeah, that's true. I also so, think there must be... I, I, I definitely see your point. I do think, though, that it's just weird that there's this species that is similar to the Ahamkara that the Harmony call upon you know like like even even well, independently that could be an ahamkara that they call upon and that the worm gods are this other mm -hmm. other species like they're in the same genus but they're mm -hmm. different species if we're going to get all sciencey yeah yeah that's true hmm. so yeah i mean i, I I don't know. I don't know what the right thing to do in terms of categorization. Um, I think for now, I'm personally okay with some of the books of sorrow cards appearing in the Ahamkara category, and I think that's the best that we can do until we have more information about, you know, what is the the source of this phrase, um, "Oh, bear a mine." Like, where does that come from? Yeah. I also think I've I've said this to a, a few people before just in 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 private messages and things like that. But at some point in the history of destiny, at some point in the future when we're playing the game, I feel like there's going to be a moment where a character uses the phrase oh bear a mine. And when that happens, I am going to lose my mind. <laughs> You mean like we're gonna be talking to Zavala and he's just gonna yeah. say like, "Oh my God, <laughs> imagine gonna that!" Freak out! Imagine that! I could never <laughs> trust anything Zavala says ever again. 
I mean, I think it's less likely to be Zavala because he is well, probably a so. Yeah. yeah, but imagine if Akora said that. Oh man, I would just. What if what, what if we meet Osiris and he says it? Well, he did dabble in a bit of Ahamkara law. Yeah. <sighs> it's dangerous stuff. Apparently, I don't know. Um, oh, that would be so awesome, though. Okay. I can't. I can't even. Like. I don't know. I. I. You know. If, if you're not really interested in the law, then that's probably just one of those lines that you would, you would shrug off. But I think for, like, for the law nerds of Destiny, <laughs> if and when that happens, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Destiny two. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it could it could be like Destiny seven. Yeah, it could be, but don't ah uh, yeah. I know I was trying to be a little more optimistic than that. <laughs> okay. Uh, that that's getting a little off topic, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. So, um the next comment that I'd made on the Books of Sorrow is and uh, the language that the worm gods use and not just the worm gods but the the deep as well um and really so um there's a there's a great episode of the destiny ghost stories podcast which you should listen to uh which is the um an interview with seth dickinson who is the author of the books of sorrow and i always think it's this is a difficult thing you know i like to just focus one of the things that seth dickinson said in the interview, which I thought was really good and and it kind of confirmed a lot of beliefs that I had, is that, you know, there's not really any point in asking him what was his intention in writing the Books of Sorrow because the, the, the Books of Sorrow is a thing in and of itself and it's up to us to interpret it and as soon as you have an author saying, oh, well, I didn't I didn't really mean for you to look at it that way, that's kind of... I don't know, that's kind of spoiling it, in a sense. You don't get anyway. kickbacks. Yeah, it's out there, that's it. And I mean, Bungie definitely has the ability to update that far more, you know, like, if it were, if this was a novel that had been published in, like, immutable pen and ink, well, not pen and ink, immutable paper and ink, um, then, yeah, there are no take backs, but but Bungie does still have the ability to update the API and change the contents of of, of Grimoire cards, so they they could make changes if they wanted to. But well, and they have done. Yeah, yeah, they have. But I think it's kind of that's even that's different from um, somebody saying, "Well, here's what I meant." Like that's not how this works. Um, well, and the Books of Sorrow are clearly a group of cards that are yeah. meant to be interpreted. Definitely. Like, yeah. they wouldn't be written this way if they if they hadn't been planned to have us interpret them in different ways. Because yeah. everyone's going to interpret it a little bit differently. That's yeah. how people work. Yeah. So, one of the other points that Seth Dickinson makes in the the, the episode is the language... That the um, that the darkness and and the uh, the worm gods use 
it doesn't, you know, like, I think a lot of people, when they first read the Books of Sorrow, they kind of thought, somebody else has taken over writing this. Um, like the line, um, you'll have to kill them all and take their stuff. This is, this is the, the worm gods who are these incredibly powerful, ancient, evil creatures. Um, you know, they don't talk in the grand, epic way that you would expect. And when um, Oryx communes with the Deep, the Deep basically says, Hey, come in. Take off your shoes. Have a relax. I can't remember exactly what it says. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, that isn't that isn't what you would expect. And I think that's really cool, actually. I think it's really... It's, it's really interesting that... Um, the the language used isn't what you would expect. Um, but yeah, you should check out that episode. It's it's really good. We'll we'll link to it in the notes, I guess. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. We have that ability. We have the power. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the next note is um, in card f- 14, which is called 52 and 1. This is where the worm gods discover that there is um, something that they call a traveller in orbit around Fundament. And I just wanted to point out that the fact that they use the term a traveller and not the traveller which I find really surprising. Um, throughout the entirety of the Books of Sorrow, I mean, the Hive go on a rampage through a huge number of species, and they're constantly chasing this one traveller. And I fully suspect that it's the same traveller that comes to our solar system and, you know... Terraforms all our planets. Yeah, yeah. Um, We don't hear about any other traveller. But in this instance, in this sentence, the worm gods say a traveller. And you would only use the term a traveller if other travellers exist. That's true. So what's with that? Hmm. Well, and and also they capitalize it like it's a name. Yeah. Right. So if if it said a traveler lowercase t, I would mm. think okay, this is something that travels. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's something that came to us and is going somewhere else. That's what a traveler does. Right. Um. Mm-hmm. And then I wouldn't have a second thought about it like yeah okay then later when they say we can deal with the traveler like okay that's that's what they're talking about it's mm-hmm. they, they didn't have another word to describe it so they just called it a traveler but mm-hmm. the fact that they capitalized it means that that is what it is called yeah so yeah. then the fact that it says a traveler 
gives a whole lot more meaning like okay well there's more than one that's like saying you know there's a john like well yeah there's a john there and there's yeah. a john over there and i know when we were discussing it um i used the 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 analogy of a, a queen so you might say she is a queen or she is the queen. You you can use both of those sentences, that's fine. But the fact that you you can say she is a queen, that means that there are multiple that there can be multiple queens, you know. Right. When when you have a noun that uh there can be only one of, like um like earth you wouldn't say it's an earth. You say it's the earth. Right. Um, I know if we use the, you know, there the can be, you know, sometimes we call other stars suns, so that, that maybe doesn't work as well. But, you know, there are right, certain... But it's, yeah. but, but my point still is valid through that too, yeah. because when you talk about other suns, you use a lowercase s. Yes, yes. So, yeah, it's really strange. Don't know how to... We don't have enough. We don't have any information to, to, kind of speculate any further. But it's, it's something. The fact that it's been there for a year and it hasn't been corrected, I think. Is just another example of, you know, somebody is trying. I, I feel like somebody is trying to tell us something, with this very, tiny sentence. It almost feels like, when, um. Like, like someone said, okay, you can write this, but, but, you know, here's our grand plot, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't talk about this. You can't talk about this. You can't talk about this here, but these characters are significant to all of those events mm-hmm. that are going to happen later. So you kind of have to write it in a weird ways to get around yeah. the, you know, get, go through a loophole kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, definitely a possibility. Like when you're trying to communicate with someone in code, but you didn't work out a code beforehand, so you just <laughs> say weird things to trigger them to be like, okay. That does sound very bungee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next point that I'd made is um, when the Leviathan comes to the surface. The Leviathan says, Sisters of Orash, open your eyes. Who made you monsters? Who summoned the wave? And the way that's phrased makes me sound like... Well, it, it makes me think that the answer to both of those questions, who made you monsters and who summoned the wave, is the same answer. I would agree with that. So we know from the Leviathan's perspective who made them monsters. It was the worm gods. Right. Which would mean, did the worm gods summon the wave? Maybe it wasn't... So that the worm gods said that they had the they had been calling life to fundament for years 
trying to find a suitable host or, or something something along those lines. They obviously have some incredible powers even though they are imprisoned in the core of this gas giant. Maybe it's possible that they're also able to affect the orbits of the, the moon's fundament and perhaps the Ammonite and the Traveller were oblivious to the, the, the work being done by the, the Worm Gods? I don't know. Bef before this moment, was there an indication that the Syzygy was created on purpose? Well, um, in which, which card was it? I think it's 52 and 1. Um, they say, the Worm Gods say, Our organs detect a 53rd moon in orbit of fundament, a traveller, divine presence of the sky. Now we know what arranged the syzygy. So, the Worm so Gods... they think the traveller did it. Well, the, the Worm Gods tell the 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 siblings that the traveler did it and the leviathans are say implying that the worm gods did it that's how i interpret it so yeah i mean again like this is something that we we don't have any more information than that um i do think that you know, a lot of the time, I kind of like looking at a story or, or a narrative or a series of events and saying, right, well, who who benefited from this the most? And is it possible that the people that benefited the most are the people responsible for setting these events into motion? And the worm gods seem to have benefited from the, the most from this. I mean, maybe not Akka in the scheme of things, but the other worm gods seem to have benefited the most from the events that they put into motion. They've been released from the prison, their larvae have been spread throughout the, the galaxy, and they actually haven't, they haven't had, to, had to sacrifice a lot or do a lot of work, you know, um, at least as far as we can see. So it it does make sense to me that the worm gods are the ones who, you know, triggered this wave in the hope of guiding the siblings. I mean, the, you know, if, if, if we think, well, maybe the worm gods were able to communicate with the siblings through the, the dead worm, maybe they've been able to, you know, put certain events in motion and guide them to the needle ship and to the, the core, um, fully anticipating how how everything was going to turn out. Well, and if you go all the way back to book four, <clears throat> when the king dies, he uses his dying breath to warn them of the syzygy. We don't, we are not told how he knew it was happening. We aren't, but he does... But he has a worm. He has an orrery as well. 
and he says that, where is it? Um, here it is, here it is. So in um, in the card, uh, Syzygy, um, Orash says, my father died afraid, not of vile teox or the helium drinkers, but of his orrery. He screamed to me, Orash, my first daughter, the moons are different, the laws are bent. And he made the sign of a syzygy. So that's I, that's how he, I, I, I don't think the, the, the worm necessarily, maybe the worm told him what to look for, but it sounds like um, his, you know, he was able to tell from his orrery, maybe comparing it to where the moons should have been. You know? Well, yeah, I understand what you're saying. If we're looking at this from a perspective of somebody or somebody's orchestrating these events for their own benefit, because that's what we were talking about, mm -hmm. then it would make sense if this was orchestrated by the worm gods to have, even if it wasn't like Akka being like, hey, dude, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that that happened, but if, you know, we know that Akka is in communication with the Osmian king. And then we know that the king told his daughters about the syzygy, which is what started this entire event. Like if that didn't happen, mm -hmm. then nothing else that happens after the what, fourth book would have happened because yeah. they would have died yeah. and that would have been the end. So yeah. <laughs> um, then, so basically what I'm saying is that if, if the worm gods orchestrated it, then they obviously communicated via Akka or Akka, whatever, to the Yasmian king in some way in order for him to view it. Whether they just sat him down and they were like, look, this is going to happen. Or mm -hmm. if they manipulated his knowledge or exposure in some way to have him interpret or discover it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like they, they made sure that the king knew this was going to happen so yeah. that he would warn his family. Yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. It's definitely possible. Okay. So yeah, maybe the traveler didn't arrange arranged the um, syzygy. I struggle to pronounce that word so much. Everyone syzygy. does. Syzygy. Syz. Right? Syzygy. 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 Okay. Syzygy. <sighs> so, the next note that I have is around, and this is this is a question that I see coming up again and again, is around the, uh, in order to gain power to kill Akka, Oryx kills his sisters. And um, there was a lot of debate around whether those deaths are true deaths. And I mean, I don't think we're going to find the answer today because it's been 
debated. I've been involved in so many debates around this, so you know, I I don't know what what the answer is. There are there are some things that take that that, that occur in the books that lead lead me to either conclusion. You know, I could I could be persuaded of either possibility. Um, obviously, the strongest argument that they are not true deaths is that um, uh, Savathun and Zivu Arath return later. Um, that's that's a pretty strong strong it argument. Is, <laughs> it is. The that is that is what I presume. You know, like I, I think that is that is the most likely scenario. And um, Zivu Arath does actually say um, in um, card thirty-five, this love is war. Zivu Arath says, "Once I permitted Oryx to kill me so that he could gain the sword logic and overcome Akka, our god. This left me trapped deep in my throne." So the fact that he was trapped deep in his throne implies that it wasn't a true death and that, you know, thanks to the, the magic of throne worlds Zivu Arath and Savathun were able to survive now there are some arguments against that um, this, this doesn't cover all of them, I'm sure there are more but one of them is that it's not until Oryx carries out these specific acts that Zivu Arath and Savathun are able to return. But previously, you know, like the the three siblings kill each other all the time. This is how they show their love to each other, and this is how they show their worship to the deep. And when they kill each other previously, they don't have to they don't seem to have to carry out some special, you know, cheat code in order to bring each other back. Um, so it does seem as though these deaths are different. When Oryx kills his sisters, Oryx himself is definitely in his throne world. And um, shortly, so he kills, Oryx kills um, Zivu Arath. And then just before he kills Savathun, Savathun considers killing Oryx. Now they're inside Oryx's throne at the moment. So what would have happened if Savathun had gained the upper hand and killed Oryx? Would that have been a true death? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's... I guess yes, but I would I would assume so. That's certainly what the books imply at the end. Yeah, that's what the sword logic implies. Mm -hmm. I I will say this: <clears throat> when the when it says like you know we fought each other and killed each other for twenty thousand years, like this is obviously a you know, some time has passed passage from the author, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's possible that that every time they killed each other, they did have to create some kind, you know, to, to perform some large act 
as described in these cards. Yeah. In order to get each other back. We don't know. They're not You're described. Right. Yeah. Um, we know that they did this for 20,000 years. Maybe that's why it took so long. Maybe that's why they killed so many species. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's a really good point. I don't know if when, um, when Oryx is first killed. Um, let me just open that card. So this is in um, card 17, the weakness verse. The worm says, uh, the worm gods say, you are dead, young Oryx, betrayed and murdered by your own sister for the crime of mercy. Your body is gone, but you have endured, safe in the cyst universe created by your own might, your throne world. From this day forward, Oryx, you and your sisters will each survive death, so long as you aren't killed in your own throne. Um, and then it just says, when you return to the material universe, use this lesson to complete your work. And then there's not really a description of, of how Oryx comes back, but he does. He seems to. Yeah. So it, it would be, you know, to, to kind of um, Occam's razor this discussion, you know, it, it seems like they kill each other. They go back to their throne worlds. They figure out a way to bring each other back. Right. Yeah. And this um, situation where the, um, Oryx kills Zivu and Savathun and and then, you know, he w- fights a war in order to bring Zivu back and then he tricks, you know, to bring Savathun back. I think that's just an example. You have to, mm. to remember that <clears throat> even beyond the fact that this is a game and obviously these uh, grimoire cards are written by people. Um, the books of sorrow have a special s- place within that because they're not just written by an omniscient narrator like a lot of the other cards are. For mm-hmm. example, the cards that are associated with the um, Lords of Iron that came out with with Rise of Iron, um, they're written kind of like a like a novel, right? From an omniscient narrator point of view mm-hmm. these things happened you know it's like reading a book um the books of sorrow are not written that way even within the game world they have an author they are written from a specific perspective in a certain way for a purpose so you have to take that into account when you're reading these things like so they say okay well we fought each other back and forth now, here's an example of how we did that, right? He's not going to describe every single time because they were all essentially the same situation. We killed each other. Then, you know, we had to fight a war to bring Zivu back and we had to trick somebody to bring Savathun back. It's the same story every time, just with a different, in a different place with a different species, whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's a really good point. And I know that brings us on to the kind of the main point that I know you wanted to discuss, which is what is the purpose of the Books of Sorrow? 
Sorry. Do you, do you want to jump up there or? No, I think we should. I mean, I think that was the, that was the last comment that I had against the um, the event. There's probably many other things that we could discuss, but I, but I think that brings us on quite nicely to to what the purpose of the of the books is. Awesome. Okay, so um, on that note, transitions. Um, <laughs> the like I was just saying, the books clearly serve a specific purpose, even within the game world. They have an author, so which means that we have to take into account why they're written in order to help interpret them. There have been a lot of debates in the lore community about like what are these books? Did the things that happen in these books actually take place? Did these species exist, and were they killed? Um, and I think my answer to that is pretty much yes and no. Um, I, I view the books of sorrow, um, a, a lot in a similar way that historians and archeologists view texts like, um, religious texts and, and political propaganda texts, um, like the Torah, um, and, and the Christian Bible, that these are stories that are written down and they were written for a specific purpose so they have a bias and so you have to take that bias into account in order to interpret um, the events that took place and determining whether they actually happened or not so for example in the bible you know they have the story of noah's ark and the flood from a theological perspective, you know, there are lots of discussions about, about this story. From, a, from an archaeological perspective, we can't prove or disprove whether God told Noah to build an ark. We can't prove or disprove whether God flooded the world to kill all the species. Like, there's no archaeological evidence for that. But we could find archaeological evidence that there was a big flood or wasn't. I mean, I guess you can't find evidence that there wasn't, but anyway, so there have been people <laughs> who have dug in, you know, traveled to the Middle East, used varying texts to determine, um, you know, where certain events might have happened and dug down into the earth and taken samples and said, okay, there is evidence that a flood happened, you know, between, you know, 2300 BCE around that time. Okay. So it could be that that was the flood that, that is talked about in the Bible. Um, we know that there was a flood that happened there. So at least that's something, right? So my, my point is that these texts in the Books of Sorrow probably can't be interpreted literally as far as, like, this is actually what happened because they have a bias. Obviously, Oryx is writing these books mostly. There are some passages that are authored um, by his sisters. But he has a bias on what happened. I'm sure that if we found a book somewhere that was written by the ecumen, they might have a different perspective on what happened. Yeah. 
So you have to take that into account. But just because these books were authored by Oryx doesn't mean that he made up the whole story. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very fair way of looking at the books of sorrow. Um, I know when you know when I first read them, it feels like propaganda to me. Um, it feels like, and I can't I can't really place my finger on why that is, but but you know, um, I think one of the things that that has always bothered me is the line um, in um, in the card Dreadnought where Oryx is saying to his court go out into the universe my court gather tribute for me send it home to my ship when I call you walk up that tribute to my court I will prepare for long voyages and then Savathun and I'm I'm presuming, I mean, obviously, it's it's hard to say, but I'm presuming that Savathun has scrawled this in the margins. And she says, I am Savathun Insidious. I graffiti this notice for you. These books are full of lies. And um, I remember when I was reading the Books of Sorrow, I had this feeling, you know, like, this feels like propaganda. It feels like somebody, like... If you imagined, if Oryx decided to write a book to persuade all of his subjects that he was the most important person in the universe, what would that book look like? Would it be the Books of Sorrow? You know, like, is he... Don't get me wrong, Oryx is extremely pow- powerful, you know, he, he <laughs> you know, maybe he doesn't need a, a book of propaganda... But it did, it just, I, I kind of, well, as I was reading it, I kind of thought, this is, it feels like I'm trying to be persuaded of something. And then well, when I came... sure. Yeah. And propaganda is always helpful when you are the leader, right? Yeah. Every country has <laughs> propaganda. That's just yeah. how it works. Um, every government has propaganda. And this is no different. You know, the hive race is also a culture and they have a pyramid style government right Mm -hmm. yeah um so if and he oryx is acutely aware of the fact that if he doesn't keep all of his hive happy and in and in line then he's gonna die because his worm is gonna overtake him yeah if it doesn't get enough light and he can't provide it enough light on its own because of on his own, because of how big he's gotten. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the downfall of pyramid schemes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the guy at the top wins unless everyone else leaves because he can't yeah. sustain it on his own. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it from that perspective, if I was Oryx, I would absolutely write these books and pass them yeah. out to my subjects so that they are happy and understand and have sympathy for me and continue providing me with light. Yeah. And yeah, that makes, that makes that's complete sense. a bias that you have to take into account when you read mm-hmm. them, that he's writing them in this specific way and interpreting him and leaving information out, putting more yeah. detail in other places to 
paint himself in a more sympathetic light. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, we we do have some ways of corroborating certain parts of the Books of Sorrow because obviously the Hive exist. Um, Oryx exists. We can go through the Dreadnought. And we we know that 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 his his throne does appear to be the Dreadnought and various other things, but you know we can't necessarily verify every part, and it is the only account that we have of the ancient history of of the universe of the of the galaxy that we're in. So. Yeah, that does. I mean, you know, I I would be really interested. You know, I'm I'm hoping that at some point in the next release or in the next few releases, that we will gain some more insight into the ancient past, so we can either corroborate or invalidate. Maybe not invalidate, but either corroborate or. What's the opposite of corroborate? But not as much I, as invalidate. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna I, say invalidate. So I yeah, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I just, I just guess if we have two separate accounts and they conflict, then we won't know which one is correct. You know, if we get, let's say we get some account from the Vex, um, you know, w- w- one of the unfortunate sides contradict. Of, yes, yeah. One of the unfortunate parts of the Books of Sorrow is that the Hive have annihilated every species that they've encountered. Apart from yeah, so the, the Vex. Right. So either we're going to have to get a source from the Vex, mm. which is possible because they're all timey-wimey. Mm. So, yeah. Um, or we're going to have to have one of the other species that the Hive have annihilated before they get annihilated have written this something down or left some other kind yeah. of marker for us to interpret. Yeah. Maybe Teox is around somewhere and we can ask her. Mm, that's true. As far as we know, she's still alive. Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I, f- I feel like if she had died, then we well, would... We would know. They would yeah. certainly have written it in the <laughs> Yeah. in there. So either she's alive or Oryx doesn't know that she's dead, which is another interesting take on it. Because if he doesn't know that, that means he doesn't know where she is. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole the, the whole story of Teox is interesting. Like, well, I, I don't know, like, she's just been jumping from civilization to civilization. She's kind of a, a curse, really. Yeah, wherever she goes, here comes Oryx and his army. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, my throat is killing. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we've talked a lot and we've had yeah. a lot of questions and a couple of answers. Yeah. Not many answers really, but that's cool. No, but that's we how it of, is. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of knew that that would be the case. Okay, so that's all that we have on the Books of Sorrow for now. If you have any conflicting thoughts or ideas or questions, then please let us know, either on Twitter at IshtarCall, or you can email us, and you can find our email address on the website, 
which is www.ishtar-collective.net. I've been Baxter. I've been Purple Chimera. See you next time. Bye.